I started freaking out and I thought I was dying and I just said call an ambulance and I just thought I want to live I want to live I want to live like I don't want to die Welcome to Are You Mental, a podcast about mental health. My name is Mick Andrews, and today we're talking all about panic attacks. Now, I chose this topic because I was in the mood for a, a shorter, simpler episode. I thought that panic attacks are basically just like an add-on to anxiety, right? And I've already made an episode on anxiety, so this might be 30, 40 minutes tops. I didn't quite realize that there's a lot to say when it comes to panic attacks. And what I also didn't realize at the time is that I was about to go on a journey myself with panic attacks. See, when I recorded these three interviews you're about to hear, I'd never experienced a panic attack in my life. In fact, I never even had a significant relationship with anxiety before. But since recording these interviews, I found myself having two full-blown panic attacks in the middle of the night. And both times, I thought I was living the last seconds of my life. So, <laughs> needless to say, they were terrifying. Both times I called the ambulance, and both times I found myself sitting in my bedroom with wires coming out everywhere, being told that my vital signs were all fine. Now, I'll talk more about my own experience later, but for now, I'd like you to meet a really good friend of mine, Karen. I've known her and her husband, Johnny, for 13 years now, and we're pretty tight. These days they live two hours north, and they're in that stage of their family life where their daily activities more or less revolve around their young children. Pick up the kids, wrangle the kids, feed the kids, fence the kids in, round them up. (laughs) Milk the kids. (laughs) (laughs) Deworm the kids. Not kidding, kind of kidding. <laughs> Can't de-sex them, that's frowned upon no, these days. No, that's exactly it. Did that to the husband recently, can't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Karen has had an ongoing relationship with anxiety basically her whole life, but she's found that during these COVID years, things have really been taken to a new level. And that was partly about the fear of the virus itself, But actually for her, she found the tension and conflict it was creating in her community was even more distressing. So this was all bubbling away under the surface until it wasn't. I experienced my first, at the time, didn't know it was a panic attack. So I called it an episode. (laughs) Um, Season one. Yeah. (laughs) So I experienced my first episode last year. And I hadn't been feeling great for a few weeks with the anxiety. But I woke up one night and I felt like my vision was kind of closing in on me. I felt like I couldn't breathe properly. I couldn't get a a good deep breath. And I was trying to kind of feel for my heart and I couldn't feel it. I couldn't feel where my heart was and my mind's spinning, and I'm kind of processing all this information that I'd absorbed over the weeks and months leading Mm. up. And I started freaking out, and I thought I was dying. I thought something was seriously wrong. Like medically? Medically, yeah. 
Johnny was asleep beside me, sleeps like through anything. So, so I'm just like gasping and it's just. <laughs> <laughs> so I whack him. <laughs> and I just said, my heart, I don't think it's going. Call an ambulance. And I managed to get myself out to the hallway and I just. I wasn't sure if I was passing out. I I couldn't work out what was going on, but I just knew I needed to get on my back. I needed to put like raise my feet up into the air to try and get some oxygen going and I just but I just I couldn't make sense of what was going on and I just thought I want to live. I want to live. I want to live like yeah, I don't want to die. So, um Johnny called the ambulance and by the time they'd arrived my breathing had calmed somewhat but I'm just like what the hell was that like you got to help me you got to figure this out before it comes on again and uh, the paramedics were amazing really warm empathetic and they put me on the ECG straight away like started taking obs and the ECG was showing fine. My blood pressure was slightly low. Yeah, everything kind of looked fine. And of course, even hearing that, even seeing this ECG that was normal, my body kind of started to completely calm after mm. that. They said, oh, you know, you might be a little dehydrated, if anything, but otherwise everything else is checking out normal. However, we would like you to see the doctor and just ask to be seen and checked over thoroughly again. By the time they're packing up at 6 a.m. and my kids are walking blurry-eyed down mm. the hallway going, whoa, there's two aliens in our house. <laughs> <laughs> All pretty bizarre for them. But the next day I went and went to the doctor and I think it was a pretty busy day for them there. I kind of got shoved in a side room and <clears throat> didn't get the same kindness that I had the night before. Um, but they were still really thorough and again took a, an ECG and also checking a bunch of other things because, as they said there, a panic attack and a heart event of some kind mm. can look really similar in their symptoms. Yeah. And the doctor did say, you know, you've done the right thing to come and get checked out. Mm. Everything came back clear and I went home. <laughs> and that one was really isolated and it just kind of happened on its own and then I didn't have anything like it for a good few months oh, wow. and then just after Christmas I had another one and I didn't get checked out immediately but I was already kind of wondering if they were panic attacks mm. But, and then, but not kind of confirmed in your mind that that's what Not confirmed in my mind, no. Mm. So they're still scary as hell because I still, while I'm in it, feel like I'm maybe dying. Wow. So, but also perhaps stupidly at times don't 
always reach out for help straight away. So Mm. I kind of decided that I might just see how another night goes. And I had a string of them for a few nights in a row. Is there a part of you as you're going to bed, because when you have one, it feels like you might be dying. Is there a little part of you that's like, I might not see it through to the morning? I was terrified of going to bed. Yeah, I was terrified. I, that was almost the hardest part because I know because of my vulnerability to mental illness, to anxiety, to depression, that sleep is so important Mm -hmm. and something that I like to try and protect if I can. Mm. And yeah, that was hard. I was terrified of putting my head down on the pillow. One comforting thing was that Johnny, my husband, is just so supportive and so patient and just completely kind of takes anything like that seriously and just looks after me. So I didn't feel like it was something that I had to try and track on with or hide or get through Mm. or whatever. Like it's because I know not everyone has that type of support, Mm. but I think having that or knowing that that was there made me feel quite safe. Mm. Johnny accompanied me to the doctor and I told the doctor my story and he diagnosed me with panic attacks Mm. and he suggested that I put my anti-anxiety meds up Mm. so double what I was taking he gave me another medication diazepam that I can take when I am having an attack Mm. so that's what I did I put the medication up we um So I did have panic attacks the nights following, but as the week went on, they just eased Mm. until it was almost nothing. And I could kind of wake in the night, feel that something was going to come on and just kind of talk myself through it Mm. and breathe through it and mainly just tell myself, this is a panic attack. Mm. You are not dying. Mm. You are okay we can breathe through this. Mm. If you were to kind of slow down the experience of a panic attack, what does it feel like? What's it like in your mind, in your emotions and in your body? And, and I guess I preface this by saying, if you don't feel safe kind of re-experiencing it or describing it, then just let me know. Mm. So one of the things that has been the norm for me with my panic attacks is that I only have had them at night. Mm. So it's hard to explain a panic attack in a slowed down way because it doesn't feel like a very slow thing. Mm. (laughs) I literally wake up and it's happening already. And there's no conscious thought attached to it. There's no kind of dream that I can think of that connects to it. There's no anything it's just the physical symptoms so in that moment my mind is not thinking oh no 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 I have to calm myself down it's thinking what the hell is going on with my body 
how can I get help? You know, it goes straight to fear. It goes straight to, I think I'm dying. Mm. I need to get some help somehow. So, I mean, it, it's fear, but it sounds like it's terror. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And over time, I've been able to, after a while, just quieten my mind a little bit once I'm in one and um, start focusing on breathing and the things that might calm me down from it. But that was only after knowing that it was definitely not some kind of medical event. Knowing that it was a panic attack made me feel safer. And as far as the kind of physical experience goes, you've already said that you've kind of felt like your heart had basically stopped, right? Mm, mm. And your vision was kind of darkening, is that right? Yeah, kind of feels like it's just closing in on me, mm. like it's kind of becoming tunnel-like, mm. which is a, a really scary feeling. Mm. Does it feel a bit like, oh, that's death, That that's my life force dissolving it feels like nothingness and everythingness all at the same time. Oh, <laughs> sounds like a good drug. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's really not. It's really hard to describe. Mm. It's really hard to put into words. But what I know is that it's not like any other experience I've ever had. Mm. And, and it's not somewhere I like to go. Hi, it's Mick here. I hope you're enjoying Are You Mental? As you can imagine, making this podcast is a pretty time-consuming pursuit, and I often get asked how people can support the podcast. So what you can do is go to gofundme.com and search the words Are You Mental? That's gofundme.com and search Are You Mental? Okay, on with the episode. We'll come back to Karen's story soon, but first, I'd like you to meet Hamish. I'm prepared this time. That's the beauty of second chances. <laughs> I feel like I'm the one getting the second chance here. <laughs> so a little while ago, I put the word out that I was looking for someone who'd had a long journey with panic attacks, which led me to Hamish. Hamish is a business owner and juggles quite a few things, but generously gave me a couple hours of his time, and we had a great conversation. But then, when I got home, I found to my horror that the audio file had corrupted and was irretrievable. And no, that wasn't when I had my first panic attack, but I did want the ground to swallow me up. When I finally plucked up the courage to make the remorseful phone call to Hamish, he was incredibly gracious and said, that's all good, man, let's just do it again next week. And so we did. And in the meantime, I bought myself a second audio recorder. Definitely rolling on both machines. <laughs> That's key. <laughs> if you ring me up tomorrow. No, I wouldn't. I'd just, I'd yeah. just lie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd just never tell you. So Hamish's experience with panic attacks are different to Karen's in that they started when he was a kid. And I was, I think, an anxious young kid. I think I was quite sensitive, and I was especially sensitive to what I deemed other people judging me about and I can remember being very nervous and anxious in social situations and finding it quite hard to talk out of fear of being judged for saying something that wasn't right or wasn't funny. When Hamish was a young kid him and his family moved to the southwest of England and I was in the primary school choir So as part of this choir, we were 
doing performances at mm. different churches and cathedrals. And we were rehearsing in the afternoon. And I was standing with the rest of the choir up the front of the church. And I was in the middle of a row with people surrounding me. And everything was completely normal. And then I suddenly had this sense of being trapped and couldn't see an easy way for me to remove myself, I became very anxious. And I can remember becoming hot and flustered. I can remember my breathing starting to become quite shallow. Mm. And these feelings increased. I'm not too sure exactly what was going through my mind, but it almost felt like I was gonna completely lose control. And they became so uncomfortable that I said to someone next to me, hey, hey, I, I think I'm going to be sick. And that person was like, oh, I, and, and helped me get out mm. and got as far as standing in front of the altar at the front of the church where I turned around, faced the giant cross and threw up <laughs> all, over the, all over the ground. <laughs> And, and that was my first panic attack. And I, I had no idea that that was a panic attack until about 10, 11 years later. Right. And what did you think as a kid was going on? I, I thought I was sick. Right. I thought I had a stomach bug or something. After a childhood in England, Hamish and his family moved back to Aotearoa, New Zealand. He didn't have any panic attacks for quite a few years, but in his final year of high school, he had one that became the first of many. He was 17 years old, and even though he was struggling with social anxiety, at heart he was an extrovert. And one thing I really enjoy doing at school is reading out loud to the class. And that was what happened. So I start reading, and I'm reading along absolutely fine. I've read two pages. And then suddenly I start having this thought that I am stuck, and there's no exit without me causing a scene and potentially embarrassing myself. And I suddenly feel trapped. And my voice goes quite quavery. And I've, I'm short of breath. And I'm like, what, what, what's going on here? This is, this is weird. And my thoughts are starting to race. And I'm getting hotter. And I'm breathing faster. And eventually I, I say, hey, hey I, I'm going to stop. I'm out of breath. I, I think I smoked too many cigarettes over summer or something like that. Right. And everybody laughs and the teacher chooses someone, someone else to start reading. Mm. And later on that day, I'm in a similar, similar situation. I think it's probably English class. And I'm reading again in front of the class. <laughs> Sucker for punishment. Sucker for punishment. And the same thing happens. And I have to stop reading again. And those two instances were enough for me to realise that there is danger in reading in class. Mm. Stop reading in class. Mm. So that's what I did. And that is, I guess, one of the most awful things about panic attacks. If they're associated with particular events, people can very, very quickly learn to avoid those events. Mm. And when you start avoiding those events, you empower the anxiety and the panic attacks because you're not facing them, which feeds them. And also you're, you're starting to box yourself in and that box can quite quickly become smaller and smaller and smaller 
as you start associating other situations with the potential to have a panic attack. We'll come back to Hamish and Karen soon, but I know a lot of you will be wondering if we're going to hear from our favourite psychologist, Nettie Cullen. Well, fret not, dear listener, because here she is talking about what a panic attack is. So a panic attack is a sudden, often unexpected flood of intense fear and anxiety, particularly characterised by physical sensations of fear that are particularly debilitating and immobilising. So people will talk about having their heart pounding, having difficulty trying to breathe, can't catch their breath, shaking, tingling, nausea, and in particular, a fear that I'm going crazy, that I'm losing control, that I'm about to die pretty overwhelming, intense experience. But I guess the kind of defining feature, if you like, of a panic attack is how physical it feels. So a real physiological embodied experience of fear or terror even. It almost sounds like about the worst experience a human could go through, the way you describe it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, of course, there are going to be degrees um, and people People will sometimes talk about, I had a full-blown panic attack as opposed to I had a a little bit of a panic attack. But generally, a panic attack is an overwhelming experience. Yeah, it's it's so extreme that people who've had a panic attack are very motivated to never Mm -hmm. have to go through that ever again. Because it's so distressing, we then start getting distressed about the distress that we're experiencing. We start getting scared about this feeling of terror and being out of control. And of course, that just makes us more scared and increases that fear response. And so we spiral into this tighter and tighter loop, which is why that feeling of panic is so intense and so overwhelming. Mm. Does that mean that having, a, say, your first panic attack can be the beginning of a spiral? Because you have one and then you're so motivated never to feel that again that it just adds to the fear and yeah. makes makes another one more possible? Yeah, it can make people more vulnerable to future panic attacks. So what would be a positive and helpful way to, say you have a panic attack for the first time, or you have a sequence of them, what would be a positive and healthy way of integrating those experiences into your life? I guess understanding that panic is a natural human response. Mm that it's understandable, perhaps even forgivable, that there can be kind of grace and understanding for that kind of experience. means that the story that I could tell about it is one of acceptance and Mm. growth. If it's something that I've been through that, that I've then been able to get extra support and understanding from the people around me, then it might foster that sense of being cared for and looked after, Mm. which could be a really valuable, positive thing. What would be the opposite? What would be a response to a panic attack or a sequence of panic attacks that then takes us deeper into the Mm. hard place? I think that the experience of a panic attack can be so vulnerable, like being almost caught with your pants down, really Mm. exposed, really vulnerable, really out of control, really powerless. And in that kind of space we can be flooded with shame and shame shame is awful Mm. 
Mm. Shame causes us to want to hide and withdraw and and disconnect from people to shut and shut down mm. and avoid and not want to be us. Yeah, yeah. Shame kind of promotes that kind of self-loathing and mm. and rejection, and then we withdraw more. And of course, the more we withdraw, the more vulnerable we are. Mm. So you described before about what a panic attack is like to experience in the sense of it being really physiological. It, it feels like something's actually happening in your body to the point where you can feel like you're actually literally dying. Mm. What about on a mental and emotional level? Yeah. Cognitively, what gets stirred up is kind of anxious thoughts about what's happening to me. Am mm. I losing my mind? Am I going crazy? Am I having a heart attack? Am I dying? Mm. And then if I, if I believe that I'm dying, then that brings another wave of anxieties about what that might mean to me. My life flashes before my eyes and, and whatever that might hold. Mm. Um, and then there's the flood of emotions that come with that. And what are the emotions that are often in the mix? I'm, if I was to guess, I would say obviously the fear, mm. dread. Dread, terror, mm. overwhelm. Yeah. yeah. What I've learnt is that I have no control in the early part of a panic attack. Mm. Like, it, as you said before, sneaks up on me and I'm in it before I have any chance of mm. telling myself that I'm okay. So it's not until I'm a good, you know, few minutes into it that I can start thinking a little bit more consciously and start grounding myself. But that has been a real learning curve for me, that real physiological side of mm. what they are. Mm. Funny that we would think that they could be controlled. I mean, the hint's in the title, eh? Panic attack. Mm. I mean, it's not a panic shove or a yeah. <laughs> panic suggestion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> panic annoyance. That is so true. It's an attack. It's so true. It's so true. In that few weeks that you were having those panic attacks at night, how did that affect your daily life? When I was having, yeah, the string of them, I felt exhausted through the days. I felt elated when light would finally come, mm. when the sun would come up. Elated. And I was alive. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I'd feel like... Oh wow, I'm so grateful that that is over, you know. Wow. And and then I just feel yeah really tired through the days and my ability to do a lot of things that I'd usually be able to do like go for an energetic walk or whatever they just weren't there like physically, mentally, emotionally I felt pretty wrung out just fragile, vulnerable, unsure, and wondering how long it was gonna go on for. Mm. I, was just, I was just hoping for a stop to them, uh, some kind of relief, even for just one night. Mm. And each night that that complete relief didn't come, I would feel the sense of, oh man, is this me? Like, is this mm. for good? Is this forever? Mm. It's not. <laughs> yeah. And in that period, what was the thought of having another one like? I would have done anything to stop another one happening. Yeah. 
yeah, absolutely. The best way I can describe panic attacks was it's pure terror. It is so completely consuming and I sort of describe it as it feels like your brain is kind of trying to eat itself from the inside out. Mm. And you would, within a whisper away of completely breaking with any sort of normality and losing complete control of yourself. And I can't think of any other situation which I would be so afraid of. Mm. So I, I have often thought, what about if I had never done a base jump before and I was standing on a cliff and I was on my own and I had to jump off that cliff and pull a parachute and hopefully survive. Like, you'd be really fucking scared up on top of that cliff, right? Totally, yeah. Shitting myself. But that feels minuscule, the fear I associate with that compared to the fear of having a panic attack. Wow. So you really don't want to have another panic attack. Mm. You're really anxious about having panic attacks. And... If you don't know any better, which I didn't, you will go to great lengths to avoid situations of having them. Can a panic attack happen to anyone at any time? I'm, I'm pausing because I think that is quite a complicated question. And the simple answer is yes, it can happen to anyone at any time. And I guess that the nature of a panic attack is that it's, it often feels like it comes out of the blue without warning. Mm. The reality is, though, that we all carry different amounts of vulnerability and somebody who has an underlying... Predisposition? I was going to say vulnerability to anxiety or a, a different kind of base level of anxiety mm, yeah. might be more at risk. Mm. There are certain kind of life experiences that can also put us more at risk if we've been through a particularly stressful or traumatic experience, if we're going through a major life change, a kind of massive, and sometimes it's not even a massive changes, but I was going to say big life changes like like moving house or leaving home or starting a new job or, or a relationship ending or a relationship starting. These big changes can unsettle our, our equilibrium mm. and make us a little bit more wobbly, a little bit more vulnerable. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing about a panic attack is that it can feel random, but I, I don't actually believe it is random. I think that it might feel random because on the surface it doesn't look like anything's wrong per se. But when we understand what might be going on underneath the surface for an individual and their own individual story, often it, it turns out to be not that random after all. Well that was my next question. Is there always a reason that a panic attack happens? I personally think that there is always a reason. Even if that reason is simply I've had too many cups of coffee and my, my heart's racing a little bit and then I interpret that as something scary or threatening. I don't personally believe things are random all that often. Sometimes when I'm talking with people about, about what they've been going through and I start, we start talking about their story and I kind of go, wow, wow, gosh, of course you, of course you were anxious. Mm. Of course you were vulnerable. Who wouldn't be vulnerable having been through some of those sorts of things? But we're really good at pushing those things down and 
yeah, just, just not consciously aware, perhaps, of some of those layers of things. Mm. Uh, one of the kind of metaphors, because you know how I love metaphors, <laughs> I was playing with in my head was when we are tightly wound like a spring, it might not look like anything's different, but the tension is there, mm. which means that it doesn't take all that much of a knock for that spring to ping and for everything to come crumbling down. Mm. Yeah. So when I was preparing for this episode, I was kind of naturally asking myself, have I had a panic attack? How do I know if I've had a panic attack? Yeah, I guess, I guess that's the question of what's panic and what's a panic attack. Um, yeah, because you can feel panicked about something, but yeah. it might not be an actual panic attack. Yeah. So if you have a feeling of panic in a situation that warrants it, so you're about to give a big presentation or you've... Mm you've got a big assignment due and your computer crashes, right? Mm. It's most likely that you're feeling a normal human reaction. If or you do an interview with a guy about panic attacks yeah. and you get home <laughs> and the file's corrupted and this <laughs> yeah, guy has spent an hour and a half with you very generously. Yeah. For example. Yeah, You know. exactly. I came home the other night at five to five and my daughter comes screaming out of her bedroom, Mum, 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 my exam's due at five o'clock and I can't submit it. That was panic. and For her or you? Well, I started feeling panicked, but that was a very understandable and valid mm. response in a situation that kind of warranted panic. Mm. There was a deadline and there was an emergency, mm. right? But if you feel a sense of panic, which is more out of the blue with no kind of clear identifiable reason if you like in the circumstance or the situation or the fear or anxiety is quite clearly out of proportion to the situation then you might be having a panic attack especially if it's accompanied by that cascade of physiological responses the heart palpitations the difficulty breathing the nausea the dizziness the tingling those sorts of things mm. Did your daughter get her examined? She did. Oh, good. Gosh, it was a, it was a, it was panic. Yeah. It really was. Uh, yeah. And my guy was generous enough to do the entire <laughs> interview again. <laughs> um, when I was googling panic attacks the other day, I saw something called nocturnal panic attacks. I mean, I could have a pretty good guess at what that is. Mm. Is it is it what I think it is? What do you think it is? A panic attack that happens in the middle of the night. Yeah. Right. Sometimes people wake up, wake up from sleep panicking, mm. and, and that's pretty freaky. And our minds are always, our brains, if you like, are always processing and thinking and working, and whether we're asleep or awake, the stuff that we're, we're dealing with or trying to work through is always going to be being churned over. And sometimes do, people do find it pretty distressing that the fear and panic can come up when they're relaxed or when they're asleep. And I'm not, I'm not entirely sure, but my sense would be that when we're at rest, our defences are relaxed. Mm. And normally as we go about our day, we're quite good at distracting and keeping ourselves busy and keeping the things that we don't want to think about out of our conscious mind. Mm. But when we rest and our defences come down, often those things that we've been holding at bay get an opportunity to flood up. Mm. This is probably a good time for me to share my own experience with panic attacks 
And like Nettie just described, and like Karen experienced, the two I had this year came like an absolute bolt out of the blue in the middle of the night. And it's not lost on me that it's a bit uncanny that while I'm making an episode on panic attacks, that I have a couple of my own. Uh, I don't know if it's life imitating art or vice versa, but needless to say I'll be making my next episode on winning the lottery. So just to set the scene a bit, uh, the first half of this year for me has been what I'd describe as pretty shit. And then in June I got COVID for the first time, and I don't know if it was the two years of disturbing news reports or the fact that I've got a bit of asthma, but I found myself kind of anxious about it. And then on the third night of having COVID, I was quite sick in bed, and I woke up in the middle of the night, and all of a sudden, my heart just started pumping really hard and really fast, and it got harder and harder and faster and faster until I was pretty sure it was just going to stop. I'd broken into this weird, sudden, cold sweat, and I was almost certain I was dying. There in my cold bedroom in June in Auckland, New Zealand, um, living the last seconds of my life. And I had some of those thoughts that you hear about people having, like, um, can I spend the next few seconds becoming okay with the fact that my life is ending? Uh, Am I happy that I'm going to die in these pyjamas with teepees and pine trees on them? Maybe I should have mended that hole in them kind of a mixture of weird stuff and existential stuff and this is all whilst feeling absolutely terrified. I remember I banged on the wall behind me to wake my roommate up and I've since learned that she thought I was playing a fun game in the middle of the night so she kind of mirrored the banging back to me waiting for me to have my turn. Little did she know it, it wasn't a fun game, at least not for me, and in the meantime I grabbed my phone and I called the ambulance and the person on the other line told me to find some aspirin and to take it. And so I got up out of bed and I knew I had some aspirin somewhere and I wasn't really thinking straight, but I went to my wardrobe and I started rummaging through some medical supplies and eventually I found some aspirin. And then I noticed that the act of moving and having a task to do and finding the aspirin actually meant that I'd calmed down quite a bit. And by the time the paramedics got there, I was actually quite a lot calmer, although still really shaken and scared it would happen again. They did an ECG on me in my bedroom. I was had all these wires coming out of me, and they found that my heart was behaving completely normally and that my vital signs were fine. Having recently recorded the three interviews that you've just been hearing, I was well aware that what I was experiencing could have been a panic attack. But the craziest thing for me is just how physical it felt. It didn't feel like anything to do with my mind. It was just my heart was beating harder and faster and it was doing something it shouldn't be doing. And I was just strapped onto the roller coaster going along for the ride. So the paramedics, who were really great, told me there was nothing, I wasn't in any danger, and they went on their way. But after that experience, something changed for a while. I found myself getting this sensation of my heart pounding and struggling quite often. And it was like it wanted to kind of pound out of my chest. And the worst part was that I was waking up at like 2am every morning with this pounding, struggling sensation and it was quite kind of horrible and scary. My take on the situation is that after a difficult six months and after my first panic attack, 
my nervous system was kind of shot, like, like rubbed raw down to the nerves. And I was in fight or flight mode every day. A couple of months after the first one, I had my second panic attack. And despite already having one, I still thought I was dying and I still called the paramedics. But not long after that, my nervous system recovered, my year got better, and I did some of the classic good things you're supposed to do, like exercising, yoga, hanging with friends, journaling, counseling, and I can recommend taking up hip-hop dance classes. And I'm happy to report that I've made my way back to a good place again, with just the usual ups and downs that my life would usually have in it. So that's been my experience with panic attacks. Given that I have these guests on sharing bravely about their stories, I thought it was only fair that I shared mine. And I feel very grateful that, touch wood, my experience with anxiety and panic was fairly short-lived. I definitely have a whole new level of empathy for those of us out there who live with anxiety and live with panic attacks year after year. So we're going to catch up with Hamish again, and we're going to pick up from when he's 17 years old, in his final year of high school, and the panic attacks are getting stronger and more regular, but he still has no idea what's going on. I was putting what was happening down to a weakness in my own character. Mm. There was nothing wrong with me other than I wasn't willful enough or strong enough to be able to do these things well. And something that I should be able to change if I was strong enough or wanted to enough. And I, I, I literally can remember having this feeling that, hey, you should be able to snap your fingers and just become a normal person. That was what I believed. And what does that do to your own sense of self? It's tough because it it pulls you away from being your genuine self. And yeah, oh, I don't know, it just sucks. After high school, Hamish went to university to study law and economics. And one day he found himself in a marketing lecture. And the lecturer had quite a strong personality. He was funny, he would pick on people in class, and if someone left the lecture, he would always have a bit of a dig at them on the way out of the door. Mm. Now, that environment for me was about as bad as it can be. Mm. I was stuck in the middle of a row. I wasn't on an aisle seat. So there was no easy way for me to exit the situation if I needed to. I was in constant fear of being asked a question and humiliating myself. So I could feel these waves of anxiety coming over me. I would have experience of high anxiety and then they would fade away and I'd feel okay again. And I'd be like, oh, wow, I feel, I feel quite good now. Like, thank God for that, that's passed. Mm. But then the wave would start to come back again. And at each peak was a little bit higher than the last peak. I felt nausea. I thought I was going to throw up. I was incredibly hot and sweating profusely. Mm. My breath was short and shallow. And I can remember trying to slow my breath down, but just not being able to do it. 
I would try to hold my breath for a couple of seconds, but I would have an overwhelming urge to breathe rapidly. Mm. And I thought I was going to lose control, completely lose control and have an absolute breakdown in the middle of this lecture theatre, plus throw up all over Mm. people all around me. And that felt like a really, really, really bad outcome. Not ideal. Not ideal. (laughs) Not Not an ideal outcome. The outcome in the end was a panic attack where I was dry retching underneath where you sort of balance your books in front of you. Mm. And I think I had my bag open, (laughs) ready to sort of throw up on it. This happened so many times during my time at university. And I became deeply fearful of going to any lecture. Mm. And very, very quickly stopped going to lectures altogether. So it's really impinging on your life at this point. Really impinging on my life and I felt like I was just a horrifically weak and flawed person. Mm. And thinking that of yourself is horrific Mm. and has enormous consequences for your well-being. And I, I can remember a stint in my first year of university where I basically didn't get out of bed for a few months. And I, I, looking back on now, I was also, that was depression. I was deeply, deeply depressed mm. about what was going on. So the panic attacks led to depression at that time? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Once you start running away from things, I think, then you have to keep running away. Mm. And you have to start running faster and faster especially when it comes to sort of panic attacks, because when you start running away, they become more and more powerful. So you just have to keep running faster and faster away from them, which in turn empowers them and they become more prevalent and they happen more often in more situations. Hamish struggled through two and a half years of university and in his third year, he heard this term anxiety disorder. So he paid a visit to his GP. My doctor quickly said that I had a social anxiety disorder. Mm. Um, So an anxiety disorder, but especially prevalent in social situations. And I was having panic attacks. And that was the first time I realised, I didn't even, right up until that diagnosis, I didn't realise I was having panic attacks. Mm. Not long after getting the diagnosis, being at university was just getting too hard for Hamish. So he dropped out. What role is shame playing in all this at that point? I think it plays a really big role because I have a lot of shame that I can't click my fingers and become the person that I think I should be. Mm. I am ashamed that I don't have the courage and the willpower to change myself. I'm also not telling the truth to a lot of people at this time in my life. I'm ashamed that I have been diagnosed with a mental illness, something that I perceive as being a real weakness in myself. 
When it came time for 21st birthdays, Hamish had to sheepishly tell his friends that he couldn't make speeches at their parties because he was struggling with anxiety and panic attacks. I can't remember receiving any real understanding or empathy from my friends around us. Mm -hmm. It was a one conversation thing. I can remember one of my friends in particular just looked a bit pissed off with me. Wow. And there was no follow-up from any of them Mm. ever about what was going on with me and how I might be continuing my battle with what was going on. So Hamish had dropped out of university, moved to Auckland, and got a job at a cafe bookshop where he became a manager. They used to run events at this bookshop, so he'd be called upon to get up in front of the microphone and introduce the speakers. And he was so petrified of having a panic attack while he did this that he promptly quit his job. In fact, he did this a few times over. He'd get a job, and because he was a natural leader, he'd become management, they'd want him to talk to groups, so he'd quit the job and start looking for another one. I was running away from anything panic-inducing as quickly and as fast as possible. Mm. But I got to a point where I was increasingly aware that I was going to lead a life I was not very happy with if I continued to do this. So I eventually, I saw the other path as being to face the fear and face the anxiety in some shape or form. So I went back to university mm. and I did a, started a business master's degree and I started going to lectures again, which were literally the most fearful sort of places on earth for me. Mm. And... I don't have a very romantic story here. So I knew the most important thing for me was to be able to get into that lecture theatre. And if I could somehow get through this degree, then maybe I would face my fear and I would become okay with the fear. Mm. Before going to the first lecture of my master's, I went to the doctor and I said, doctor, give me, give me all the drugs. <laughs> <laughs> load me up <laughs> and I think I, I'm, I've probably done a little bit of research into what could be good mm. for, for anxiety and I mean the doctor sort of said you, you should take one or other like t- take a benzo like lorazepam or a beta blocker but not both mm. but I went to that first lecture pretty numb I was sort of two lorazepams deep and At least a couple of beta blockers deep as well. (laughs) Now, if you're listening from overseas, this is what Kiwi men do. We have a problem. We know there are people who have trained many years to help with that problem. But then we just do it ourselves anyway. I wouldn't advise this approach, but it does make for good stories. There was an enormous amount of anxiety still there. Despite all that medication. Despite all the medication. Mm. But it wasn't the drugs did their job. They stopped the anxiety pouring over and causing the eruption of a panic attack. Mm. And because of the ability to go to a lecture and not have a panic attack, I went to another lecture and another lecture. And yes, the anxiety was really uncomfortable, but I wasn't in complete terror Mm. like I was when I was having panic attacks. And as I went back and back and back into these lecture situations, 
I started being able to take less medication. Mm. I was facing the fear. And it was kind of throwing myself in the deep end. I could have probably, in hindsight, worked out a way of having less extreme anxiety-inducing events to start facing my fear against Mm. rather than right in the deep end. But I've always been quite extreme <laughs> so you could have started by making a speech to your teddies or something at home yeah 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 exactly then introduced I, some gi yeah. joes <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you went full noise no nah, full noise just straight back into the middle of it but it kind of worked mm. and slowly but surely i lowered the amount of medication i was on Mm. Now, I I guess I have to say, this is, as you've said, it's a DIY approach. Mm -hmm. I have no idea really what I was doing (laughs) other than some sort of gut instinct Mm. that I had to get my foot in the door. Mm. And if I hadn't had medication, I would have never, ever stepped through that door back into Alicia. And that gut instinct turns out to be right because three years down the track and I'm finishing my degree and I am not taking any medication before Mm. going into lectures. Mm. I haven't amazingly become hooked on lorazepam, which is a bonus (laughs) because that could have have led me down a really different and they're fucking dangerous drugs as well. So So you're turning up to lectures drug-free and you're fine by the end of the degree. Yeah, I mean, I have, I think, healthy levels of anxiety. Mm. And I'm doing presentations in front of the class without taking medication. Great. So what Hamish has done here is a very DIY approach to what's called exposure therapy. With assistance, something holding my hand, I'm looking the fear and the anxiety in the eyes and learning by doing that that there isn't actually that much to be truly afraid of. What should I do if I have a panic attack? Mm. In the moment, it can be really helpful to recognise that what you're having is a panic attack. Mm. Obviously, if you've never had a panic attack, and people often talk about the first one being so unfamiliar that they didn't even know what was happening to them, When you've had a panic attack before, though, you can recognise that what you're experiencing is a panic attack. Mm -hmm. And so being able to go, ah, I know what's happening. I'm having a panic attack, right? Mm -hmm. Reminding myself that a panic attack isn't actually fatal, even though I might feel like I'm dying. Mm -hmm. It's actually not physically threatening. So first and foremost, is attending to our breathing. By actively focusing on my breath and slowing my breath down, and in particular, our our breath out. Right, okay. So when when you're getting wound up by something, you tend to take a deep breath in. When you finish something, the breath of relief is a big exhalation, Mm, mm. right? So what you wanna focus on is slowing particularly that breath out. Mm. We're also able to, again, actively, consciously choose to relax. 
again, our muscles have all tensed up. Oh, yeah. You mean, you mean physically relaxed? Physically relaxed, right. yeah. That's Not what just I mean. chill out, man. Yeah. <laughs> right. Relax, dude. Yeah. Um, no, it's all of that cortisol and adrenaline that's been that's flooded through our system has caused our muscles to constrict mm. and tighten. Mm. And we can choose to let my shoulders relax, mm. to actively, mindfully notice the tension in our bodies and let it go. Mm. I say that like it's an easy thing to do. Yeah. It's not necessarily that easy. And, and not often, when you're having a panic attack. Not it when you're having, right now. Yeah, not when you're having a panic attack. It's not, uh, it's, it's not easy. Although, as we practice mindfulness in our everyday lives, that can enable us to be more able to do that when the pressure's on. Mm. When you look at that period, what got you through? I'd say the key things that got me through would be one that I was able to stop mm. my everyday. Literally, we stopped the usual routine and we went away on holiday camping. Mm. And that change of rhythm, I think I really needed mm. to begin any kind of healing. Talking to really good, really old friends who and I said old, not odd, really old friends. <laughs> some of them are a bit odd. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Some of whom have had some similar experiences, and if not, have had other mental health struggles and were really open about those with me. Just that camaraderie and comfort, knowing that we were all kind of sitting somewhere on this spectrum of mental unwellness mm -hmm. and mental wellness mm -hmm. and I think just that I'm in a really good loving secure relationship and marriage mm -hmm. with someone who just really cares for my well-being mm -hmm. and helps to support me in supporting myself mm -hmm. Yeah. That's cool. Also, I have found a lot of joy in nature in mm. the last two years, and it's something that I've found really healing. Mm. I try to get in the water and kind of feel the water on my body, and I try to get into the forest and just kind of be in the, I guess, silence of the bush and noticing all of the different life forms mm. around me and it's just something really grounding for me and something that I know I can't really do without now. Mm, that's great. And you and Johnny got in the water this morning, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep, we did. You did you forget your clothes? Did you leave your clothes at home, Karen? <laughs> Might have left our togs behind before we jumped in. <laughs> you never regret a swim, Mac. And you never regret... I'll be having one later. I might keep my togs on, though. Don't want to scare any children. <laughs> yeah, we did get a little bit nervous that <laughs> someone would come around the corner and then <laughs> run off with our clothes, and, you know. <laughs> what are things like now for you in this whole area? I haven't had a panic attack for probably 10 years. Mm, wow. So the sharp, pointy bit of the anxiety disorder has been blunted. Mm. which is an enormous relief. And 
I look back on overcoming panic attacks as being probably one of my proudest achievements. It's mm, great. And the benefits of those freedoms has allowed me to do many, many things that I wouldn't have been able to do mm. if I was still having panic attacks. Mm. I still have anxiety. I still occasionally suffer from depression, but I don't have these terrifying events which I can only describe as the most terrifying thing that I've ever been through. Mm. And that is an enormous sense of relief. So I know also from having beaten panic attacks that I can beat other stuff. So my life has got a lot of hope in it, which is so important. It sounds like you, to some level you're almost grateful for this journey with panic attacks. It's a really interesting statement because on the one hand, panic attacks caused me to miss out on quite a lot of stuff. But then there is a strong belief that I have that you have to do some really important work to overcome mental health challenges. And by doing that, you become a really strong person mm. and a really interesting person and a really genuine person. And if I hadn't gone through those challenges, I don't think I would be as good a person as I am today. What should I do if someone I'm with has a panic attack? Mm. I guess the most obvious thing is to stay calm, stay with them, reassure yourself, and perhaps also reassure them, I think you're having a panic attack and it's okay. I'm here with you and we can get through this. So that reassuring, calm, soothing kind of presence. Remembering that if we're thinking about what's going on in that person's brain, it doesn't make any sense to speak to them about being rational, right? Mm. Um, what they need is for that more primitive response to be calmed and soothed, and you can be quite helpful in that process. Mm. And you can be supportive by encouraging them to slow their breathing. You can be supportive by encouraging them to connect and ground themselves in this present moment. Mm. And also what's quite cool actually is how we are able to co-regulate. If somebody is agitated but they're with somebody who's calm, mm. the potential is for that person to be able to regulate themselves along with the person who's calm. Mm. So breathing with a person, slowing my breathing down while somebody else is breathing rapidly can have the impact on helping them to slow their breathing down. That's cool. Yeah. That's really cool. It is really cool. It's quite amazing. Mm. What advice would you give someone who has a loved one experiencing panic attacks? Mm. <laughs> I almost feel like this is a better question to ask Johnny, but I'll try to answer it. <laughs> um, if the panic attacks were new <laughs> and so you don't exactly know what they are I would say listen and do whatever you can to support that person to seek some medical help so that 
they can look at and hopefully rule out any other things that might be involved. Mm. Be there to support them when they speak to the doctor, help them collect their thoughts around it. Um, if the panic attacks have been diagnosed and are ongoing, be that presence that is willing to be there and sit with them and be awake with them as long as they need you to be. Mm -hmm. That's something Johnny really struggles with, but he does anyway. Mm -hmm, that's cool. <laughs> um, and just tell them that, tell them that they're okay and that it's really easy to feel like a crazy person <laughs> when these are happening. So, if someone close to you is going through this, tell them they're okay, tell them they're loved, tell them they're human, tell them about your own vulnerabilities, and just be there, just be a presence, just be, just be loving, just be supportive. You know, some of the some of the practical things like medication can feel really scary. Mm. So be there in those times. Say, I'll sit with you when you take this pill. I'll sit with you and you can tell me what you're feeling. Mm. Yeah. It can be a really lonely feeling having this physical experience of your vision closing in and not knowing what's going on mm. and so to know that you're not alone is really nice it's mm. really good mm. Mm. um sitting here with me today and talking about it is really admirably brave um why is it so important to you to talk about this I think so many of us go through these experiences without the opportunity to share enough and to feel the healing that is in camaraderie mm. and to feel how wonderful it is to feel normal amongst a bunch of people who are having the same struggles. Mm. So it's really important for me that people feel a bit freer to talk about their own experiences. Hopefully, hopefully, if I offer up mine, <laughs> mm. it could encourage someone to do the same. How does someone get over having panic attacks? What do you mean get over? Yeah, I know, that's horrible. But. How does someone who's having panic attacks journey to a place where they're not having panic attacks? Ah, okay. I guess there are various layers to that. Um, perhaps first of all, it's important to understand panic attacks and what's happening. And the more I understand about what's happening in my body, the more I feel empowered to do something about that, the less out of control perhaps I feel when, when they come up. But then on a very personal level, it's about making sense of what's happening to me personally when a panic attack is being 
triggered. Mm. Being able to look deeper and deeper to understand what is the deeper vulnerability that's being triggered here. Mm. And, and if I can address that, then that changes everything. Right? So, Is that another way of asking, what am I afraid of? Yeah, but it is asking, what am I, what am I afraid of? But often the thing that we're afraid of can be so unconscious. It's like asking you right. to know something that you don't have access to. It's bringing into consciousness stuff that we've buried in our unconscious. Mm-hmm. It's becoming aware of those deeper vulnerabilities that we're defending ourselves against. How might we do that? Hmm. See a therapist, that's what you're going to say. <laughs> well, there are other ways of doing it. I mean, but, but in dialogue and conversation, I think relationships always comes back to relationships for me. Mm. I was looking for one of my favorite quotes and I can't even remember how it goes and who said it, but it's, but it's about looking deeply into our soul and understanding ourselves. And sometimes we can do that as an individual pursuit, but more often we do that in relationship, mm. talking with somebody, whether it's a, a loved one or a therapist or a support group or a friend or a partner, but being able to really open my mind to what those deep, deep fears are. Mm. It's one thing to say, I'm terrified of public speaking. It's another thing perhaps to, to really get what it is about public speaking that feels so frightening for me. And it'll be different for different people. For one person, it might tap into a fear of never being good enough. But the trigger is just that. It's a trigger mm. that sparks a whole lot of reactions that are quite rich and complex. And often subconscious. And often unconscious, yeah. Mm. Are there any kind of lifestyle choices that we can make to reduce the risk of having panic attacks? Like, mm. is there anything that seems to defend us against them? What are the protective factors? Mm. Yeah. It feels almost a little bit too obvious to say... Sleep well, get exercise. But that's exactly what it is. Um, Sleep is so incredibly Mm. valuable for our whole sense of well-being and resilience. Um, Getting good sleep, getting good rest, nutrition, balanced physical activity. I mean, nothing's a magic bullet. But being able to take good care of ourselves in a balanced and a holistic way is really valuable. Sleep, diet, exercise. Being able to practice mindfulness and stillness and, and rest. Being able to regulate our emotional states, tolerate distress. Those are all things that build our resilience and build our ability to manage when faced with a threat or faced with fear or, or a challenge. I should also say, actually, part of a balanced lifestyle is good social support mm. and being able to have and enjoy meaningful connections with other people is a, is a really important piece of being stable and resilient. So there's what I deem as the foundation and the pillars of well-being. And the foundation is sleep. And then if you have your sleep right and you have really good sleep, then it gives you a better chance of being able to build these pillars Mm. on top. And the pillars on top of the foundation are 
diet, physical exercise, mental well-being, and your physical environment. So I started paying more attention to my sleep because I used to think of sleep as being a complete and utter waste of time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just a complete inconvenience. And once I started changing that and building a solid foundation of sleep, doing the other things on top of sleep, the pillars, became that much easier. Mm. And a core one for sort of my mental well-being is meditation. And meditation teaches you some important truths about life. And probably one of the most important ones is everything passes. Hmm. Every moment will pass. Every emotion, every feeling will eventually end. Hmm. And if you truly realize that, then that can really disempower panic attacks because if you truly believe that this event will end at some point, it takes a bit of the sting mm. out of the tail of panic attacks because they thrive on you thinking and believing that this is it and there is no escape, or at least it was for me. Mm. But if you believe that it is absolutely definite that it will end, then that can be quite good at taking the sting out of the tail with the panic attack. Mm. The other really important thing that meditation can give you is a very small gap between an event and a reaction to the event. So we go through life having external stimuli or internal stimuli and instantly reacting. Mm. But if you can build a tiny bit of space before that reaction, you can choose your reaction. Hmm. And that microsecond of time where you build up the ability to have a choice can be so important on being able to choose the reaction that you come up with. So if someone's listening to this now and they're experiencing panic attacks on a fairly regular basis and they're finding them absolutely terrifying and they're constantly living in the fear of having another one, what would you want to say to them? Mm. I would want to say, I don't know, it sounds a little trite, but I want to say, don't be afraid. There is hope, no matter how vulnerable, ashamed, exposed, or afraid you feel, there is a way through this. There are strategies, there are skills, there are techniques that help us manage and even eliminate panic attacks. And there are pathways to help us understand ourselves in a way that allows us to live that life that we want to live, that whole, engaged, confident experience of life, mm. there's hope, you're not alone, there is a way through this. Firstly, that you will be able to overcome them. Mm. They are not going to be with you forever. You will find a way of beating them. And as tempting as it is to do everything to avoid them, the way to 
start making inroads in overcoming panic attacks is to face them in some sort of way. Mm. They grow in power the more you avoid them. And I think a really important thing is to seek medical advice because there are a number of interventions, be it through medication or services or counselling, that can aid. And being aware of those interventions is probably the start of your journey to defeat them. I would also say please don't be afraid to talk to people about it. One of the things that held me back was I had this really strong feeling that I was going to burden people by talking to them about it. And Mm. I have learnt that that couldn't be further from the truth. That if you are vulnerable and open with people, then they will be vulnerable and open back. And when two people are vulnerable and open together, you can form an incredible connection, an incredible friendship and relationship. And what is more important in this world than forming those precious connections with other people? And those strong connections with other people can really help you through the shit show, which is having panic attacks. I'd like to say a massive thank you to Karen and to Hamish for sharing their stories with us and to Nettie for giving up her time and her wisdom. If this episode has brought anything up for you and you want to talk to someone, no matter where you are in the world, you can go to checkpointorg.com global for a list of local helplines. And if you're in Aotearoa, New Zealand, you can call 1737 at any time of the day or night to talk to someone. As you heard, Hamish is pretty passionate about the role sleep plays in regulating our mental health. So much so that he started a business selling the products that have helped him get a better night's sleep, like weighted blankets. Now, he hasn't asked me to do this at all, but if you want to check out his stuff, you can go to somni, that's S-O-M-N-I And if you want to take one minute right now to rate the show, I'll be your best friend. And if you want to take another minute to review it, you'll have my undying love forever. See you back here soon, and until then, have a mental week.